Are you looking for inspiring conversations about faith, film, and life? You're in the right place. Here's the host who knows the right questions to ask, Father Edward Looney. Hey, everybody. It's Father Edward Looney here, and today I'm excited to speak with a staple in Catholic media and publishing, Donna Cooper O'Boyle. To be honest, I don't know how she does it. She publishes several books each year, totaling over 35 books to date. She also was a good friend of Mother Teresa's. Today, she is joining me to talk about her latest book with Sophia Institute Press, 30 Marian Eucharistic Visits. So thanks so much for joining me, Donna Cooper-O'Boyle. Oh, thank you so much, Father Looney. It's wonderful to be with you, and God bless you for all the amazing things that you're always doing to help to help our world, to help the, the Church. So thank you for being out there and to you know, do all that you, you're doing, by the grace of God, right? That's right, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, I had the great pleasure to endorse this book, so you thought of me, you sent me a copy of it, and yeah. uh, so I was able to give a blurb, and this is what I said about it. Donna Marie Cooper O'Boyle has provided Catholics with a gift. Visiting the Blessed Sacrament and praying before our Lord is crucial to our spiritual lives. Doing so with Our Lady, as she lays out, even more powerful. If you have found yourself before a tabernacle or a monstrance and wishing you had something to guide your prayer, this meditation book is it. Through adoration and Eucharistic devotion, you'll grow in virtue while learning from Our Lady and imitating her. So uh, that was what I said about the book, and I think it probably captures the essence of what 30 Marian Eucharistic visits is all about. It's about praying before the Lord and the Blessed Sacrament. And as I think about it, you know, every now and again, I get the opportunity to interview people who wrote books that I wish I would have written. <laughs> I've, uh-huh. t- I've touched on this topic of your book uh, in my own book, Meditations After Holy Communion, with just a few Marian reflections. But you've now proposed 30 Eucharistic visits. And uh, I think of St. Alphonsus Liguori, too. Uh, he had something similar with his visits to the Eucharist and Mary. Uh, but they weren't explicitly Marian reflections. So now, right now in the United States, we find ourselves in the midst of this Eucharistic revival. So I'm curious, was your inspiration to write the book, The Revival, or did the idea for the book predate the USCCB's focus on the Eucharist? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, And just a quick little correction, if I may. This book is actually published with EWTN Publishing, but Sophia... Institute is so amazing with, um, you know, kind of partnered, partnering with them and, uh, you know, marketing and all of that good stuff. So it's actually a, a EWTN published book, um, but I love Sophia <laughs> and have a lot of books published with them as well. And that's a great question, Father Looney, about, you know, when the inspiration came. It actually came a while back, and, um, you know, I love Our Lady so much, and, and I always... Uh, kind of bring her, if I may say that, you know, invite her along to Holy Mass with me, you know, so I want her to be with me, I want my guardian angel to be with me to help to guide me, to guide my prayers, to perfect my prayers, and then, you know, the inspiration came to have, you know, to help others, you know, readers and adorers, you know, to help them to encounter Jesus in the Eucharist, but to, you know, have the assistance of Mother Mary, so I, I had this, you know, percolating in me and in my heart, and and so, you know, I finally put pen to paper and my fingers to the keyboard and just kind of, you know, wrote sort of an outline that I thought would be 
you know, not, no, then it started pouring out of me, the reflections, the kind of reflections and all of that. And it just happened to turn out to be the perfect timing because then the, the Catholic bishops decided to have this Eucharistic revival. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is so amazing how this unfolded with, you know, the timing of everything. So that's, you know, it, it was brewing before I had thought about it. I, you know, wrote it down. And then, you know, lo and behold, we have this special time to focus on the Eucharist, to learn about the Eucharist, you know, to teach the Eucharist. Jesus' true presence in the in the Holy Eucharist. So that's a long way to answer your question, Father Looney. Well, I really like what you said there, that sometimes when you go to Mass, you invite Our Lady with you. And that's really something that's uh, theologically true, that Mary is present at each of these Masses, because Mass is the sacrifice of Calvary represented again. And so yeah. Mary was there at the foot of the cross. There's actually a prayer that one of the options, a prayer that a priest could pray before Mass. Uh, in the back of the Missal, it says, you know, something to the effect, I'll paraphrase it, I won't get it exactly right, but, Oh Mary, you who stood by the foot of the cross, stand by me now as I offer this holy Mass, or uh, something mm-hmm. along those lines. So, so there's the presence of Our Lady there at the Mass. Padre Pio even talks about that. So, so I really like what you said there, and... As you write these Marian Eucharistic visits, I'm sure the scriptures, they were a source of inspiration for you. For example, you have here um, saying yes like Mary, learning to worship like Mary, learning obedience with Mary, learning to sacrifice with Mary. So uh, I'm thinking all of these kind of are inspired by not all of your reflections, but kind of some of these reflections at least have the germ of inspiration from Mary's presence in the sacred scripture. So how do the scriptures uh, interact in your own reflection and writing this book? Yes, that's a really great question. And absolutely, you know, the source of so many of these chapters, so many of these reflections, because this is where we learn about Mary and Jesus' life, how Mary was, you know, totally uh, connected with Jesus all the way, you know, since the Annunciation and all the way through his life and raising him and, and you know, part of his ministry, praying for him all throughout and still praying so hard from heaven, you know, so she, they're inseparable. And uh, we learn this in Scripture and how she is actually, you know, not equal to Jesus, but a co-redeemer with him. And and we know salvation comes through Jesus, of course, but we know that Mother Mary can greatly help us, you know. So we want to turn to her, and we learn about her through Scripture and through uh, even the lives of the saints, uh, some of the saints. So some of those kinds of reflections are in there as well, but we can definitely, the answer to your question is yes, that a lot of... um, what we learn from Mary is from, you know, her life with the Holy Family and what we read about in Scripture. So there's so much there, and I wanted to just, you know, focus on them in these little reflections for for the person who goes to adoration to have a little time to, to kind of be guided by, you know, they don't have to follow these things in any particular order or, or listen to me in the reflections about how to pray, but the prayer is their own. It's their own personal prayer, but... I'm encouraging them to think of certain things, to reflect upon certain scenes in Scripture or or elsewhere. You know, maybe one of the saints or one of the visionaries like the Fatima children or someone has uh, experience in them. Just kind of bringing that all to light to help you know, inspire the reader to, to come closer to encounter Jesus in those moments and to reflect on them and to even savor that time and to savor that time later, too. 
In the introduction of the book, you make reference on the very first page to two different saints, St. John Paul II Mm -hmm. and St. John Vianney. And I'm sure then, as we go throughout the rest of the, the book, there's the presence of the saints and there's saintly wisdom there. So how did you draw upon the wisdom of the saints, uh, again, in crafting these uh, visits? Yes, thank you for that question. Well, because, you know, I've learned so much from the saints, you know, especially like St. Louis de Montfort. He was so uh, such a Marian saint and, and so in love with with Mary in such a beautiful way, knowing that she is the one that brings us to Jesus, and he encouraged the world, you know, the uh, Christians, Catholics, you know, to, to get closer to Mary, because then they would get closer to Jesus. So, you know, learning from these beautiful, powerful saints along, uh, you know, my own spiritual path, and so I wove some of them throughout this book. I wish I could have, you know, I look at the book now, and I'm I'm so thankful to God for it, but I just wish I could have even mentioned more saints because there's so many. But you only have, you know, so many pages to to, to do it. So, you know, I, I did my best to pour this all out onto these pages. Um, so, yeah, St. John Paul II and Mother Teresa and so many of the others, um, Fatima children, they, we learned so much from their lessons, their spiritual lessons, and their wisdom, and their, you know, their time in prayer, you know, their own adoration. So... You know, trying to bring this to the reader's attention to help stir their hearts. When I wrote my book, A Heart Like Mary's, uh, which mm-hmm. was a book really to introduce people to the person of Mary, I spent the first, I think it was 20 days, uh, introducing people to Mary of the Scriptures, reflecting upon kind of different attributes of hers, and that's something you do. But then I spent the last 10 days looking at the different messages that Mary had spoken at Marian apparitions, and so kind of how Mary revealed her heart through those apparitions. And you kind of take that same uh, vein, if you will, in Marian Eucharistic visits, because, of course, you're drawing on Mary's example in the scriptures. Uh, Like I've said before, you know, Mary Eucharistic Visit 27, learning that nothing is impossible with God. Well, that's what the angel told Mary. And so here we are, we're learning right alongside Mary that uh, nothing is impossible with God. So, but then you have a few reflections, uh, number eight, number nine, number 10, uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe, Our Lady of Fatima, Our Lady of Lourdes. And so you do have kind of this uh, recourse to the Marian apparitions. So, so what do the apparitions of Our Lady teach us about the Eucharist? Yes, well, that's a big question. Um, well, well, our Our Lady is so much about the Eucharist, you know. And as a matter of fact, her womb was the first tabernacle for Jesus, you know. So we can learn so much from her in all her apparitions. She, um, you know, she. It's like our Lord sends Mary to earth to kind of shake us up at certain times throughout history and certain areas, you know, to, to wake us up, to wake us up, you know, to just like uh, in the beginning of this book, I say, let's let Mary, you know, allow her to help us stay awake, stay awake during our adoration, stay awake during our prayers, be more attentive. You know, she perfects our prayers. and She loves us so much. She wants us to get to heaven. But in her apparitions, you know, she's always teaching, you know, to convert, you know, conversion, turn away from sin, repent, do penance even. You know, some of these things might sound a little scary to people, like, oh, you know, I don't want my life to be full of penances and all of this. Well, think of Our Lord and Our Lady and their their real lives, you know, what they lived and how much they sacrificed so that we can get to heaven one day. So 
you know, to imitate them, to become virtuous, to pray for the virtues. So Mary, excuse me, Mary leads us. She's always leading us to Jesus. She's always teaching us to turn away from, you know, worldly things and, and sin, most of all, and turn to our Lord, turn to his merciful heart and get close to him, especially to be nourished by the bread of life, you know, to be nourished by Holy Communion and times of adoration um, before the Blessed Sacrament, to partake, to partake in Jesus, you know, her Son, and to um, be strengthened that way, and then to become a Eucharistic presence to others because we are devoting our lives to to becoming more Eucharistic, you know, through the help of Mother Mary. I'm curious, have you ever been uh, to the Marian Apparition Site in Wisconsin to uh, oh, Our Lady of Champion, as it's now called? I really want to get there. <laughs> I definitely, you know, I really want to get there. If our Lord wants it, he'll let it unfold. He'll let it happen. And I would love to. Maybe I could meet you there. Yeah, definitely. I live about 45 minutes from there. Uh, but I, I guess I bring that up because in terms of Mary and the Eucharist, I, I know that at Fatima, for example, uh, Our Lady requested us to receive Holy Communion as uh, an act yes. of reparation and such. So the Eucharist is present there. And um, But a, as I think about the champion apparition, very much uh, it begins uh, really with this Eucharistic emphasis because Mary says to the visionary Adele, she says, you received Holy Communion this morning and that as well, but you must do more. Offer your yeah. Holy Communion for the conversion of sinners. For if they do not convert and do penance, my son will be obliged to punish them. So I've always seen this uh, really as uh, exemplifying what is meant at Mass when the priest says, pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. Because as the priest says that, well, you, the lay faithful, are joining the priest in this prayer offered to God, and you are offering the sacrifice with him. And so so uh, as Our Lady says that, offer your Holy Communion for the conversion of sinners. Well, it it gives meaning, not only the fact that we have this communion with Jesus, but this moment that we can really pray to him and that we can pray for the conversion of sinners. We all have people in our life that we know that are living lives far away from God. And so, uh, you know, parents or grandparents that are listening, they're thinking of their sons or daughters or grandchildren, and that we can offer our communion for that intention. And as I think about Adele, she was then told at the end of the apparition, to go and to gather the children, teach them what they need to know for salvation. And so, so really, as Adele was going to go evangelize and catechize the young people, it was almost as if Our Lady was saying, well, pray in advance for those whose conversion you're going to labor for. And, uh, and I just think it's such a very beautiful apparition. And so I see that, for example, you have one of your meditations is uh, making reparation to Jesus's sacred heart with Mary. So uh, reparation uh, is kind of the, the development. That, that's what I wrote about when I wrote about Champion and Fatima. I, I talked about this idea that, you know, Mary asks us to pray with her for conversion of sinners. But then in Fatima, she asks us to make reparation. And so there's kind of like this development in language from 1859 to 1917. So uh, I guess, uh, can you speak a little bit about offering our communion as reparation for sinners? Yes, yes. Uh, very good points, Father Looney. And also, 
just to touch on Fatima again just for a second, uh, about the angel of peace who preceded Our Lady's visit in uh, 1917 when he appeared uh, in 1916, a few visits for the, uh, to prepare the children for the visits of Mary. One of the, um, the apparitions of the angel of peace at Fatima was so very beautiful and very Eucharistic, and this apparition uh, taught the children, brought them so close to our Lord in the Eucharist, and um, what I want to say is it also showed them that we don't worship the angels along with the angels, we worship our Lord, and that's the angel got right down on his knees and his head to the ground, worshiping uh, the chalice, which was suspended in the air, and the host, and drops of blood falling into the chalice, you know, this is all in, um, you know, the Fatima history, uh, and so this was really touched the children, and and gave them the strength when they received Holy Communion. Um, and I could say something about Francisco real quickly, too, is that he asked all his sister and his older cousin, Lucia, his sister, uh, Jacinta, what were his sins before he was going to die on his deathbed? He was going to receive Holy Communion, and he wanted to make sure he was so pure um, before receiving Holy Communion. So the children were so aware of our Lord's presence in the Eucharist and how we are to adore him, and they they gave their lives in penance. In penance, they offered communion. They offered they offered their sacrifices most of all because they were young and um, hadn't yet received their first Holy Communion except for Lucia. And so they learned to offer little sacrifices, whatever it may be, um, and bigger ones, you know, for the conversion of sinners because they had seen the vision of hell. Mary showed these little children the vision of hell, so it was the reality of the consequence of sin. So they knew, you know, people are blinded these days that there is no consequence for sin, there is no hell, doesn't matter, just be good, just, you know, as long as you're, you feel okay and you're loving, you know, you're, you're non-judgmental, whatever it may be, that the world, you know, disguises the truth for so many people that they don't really know ab- about the consequence for sin and and the, uh, the, the existence of hell. Now, children were told this, and and others as well, like St. Faustina, so that they could tell the world that we do need to pray for these people, these souls who don't know or are hardened heart, you know, have hardened hearts to offer these penances that might be just a little struggle for us, but if we offer them lovingly, they can become redemptive, you know, for our own souls and for the souls of others. So, yes, Father, like you said, to offer your Holy Communion at Mass, you know, for people who have strayed away from the Church, people who are struggling people who have harmed us in one way, people who are our enemies. Um, our Lord asks us not only to forgive them, as he really impressed upon St. Faustina, uh, and I talk about her a lot, write about Divine Mercy and St. Faustina a lot, you know, to not only forgive, but to pray, to pray for those souls. And and she even said at one point to Jesus, I don't feel, I, I'm, I'm a kind of, uh, she was kind of upset and disturbed that she didn't feel love for these people, but Jesus explained to her, that's okay, you're not always going to feel love for them, but to, you know, in other words, to push her heart to forgive and to pray for those souls. So we might not always feel like we, we care about these people, we want to invite them over for dinner, you know, someone who's harmed us, but our Lord tells us that's not what, what I'm saying, I'm saying forgive them, pray for them, pray for their souls, offer penances, offer your Holy Communion. And, you know, this is how we're going to help people get to heaven and to avoid the, 
eternal fate of hell. You spoke about Our Lady of Fatima, the children having that vision of hell. And I'm so surprised uh, on social media, I read people that say, like, oh, you know, Fatima probably didn't happen, or they don't take it seriously, or they kind of want to disbelieve or discredit it. So what do you say to someone that doesn't believe in Fatima or dismisses it? Now, I know, I know that we don't have to believe in private revelations and whatnot, but it seems, you know, you have all these people witness the great miracle, you have these fruits that are taking place there. But, yeah, well, what do you say to a denier of Fatima? Yeah, that is a great question, and it, I think it would really take some uh, real consideration and some time to, to really uh, be able to take care of that thoroughly. But, uh, you know, like you said, we're not required to believe, you know, revelation, like the, the uh, apparitions, you know, even church-approved apparitions. It's not a requirement to get to heaven. But I say, why not? <laughs> I say, how is it going to hurt you? I remember one time uh, sitting next to someone on a plane, and I'd travel a lot, and um, it, it, we were having a lot of distress on the plane with turbulence, and, and it didn't look very good for a while. And the lady next to me, <clears throat> somehow she led on to me that she believed in reincarnation and <laughs> and didn't really worry too much. And anyway, we had this conversation, and I got across to her that it's better to... Uh, it's better to take a chance that, that that Mary did appear and she did, you know, say these things, and we do need to pray, and, and there is a heaven and a hell and, and a purgatory. You know, so these kinds of conversations could come up in, in ways when you're, you know, something's uh, kind of troubling or something like that. But just in a normal conversation, I would just say, well, you know, I would try to get across to them some uh, from Scripture, uh from church teaching that maybe not doesn't uh, focus entirely on an apparition, but to you know get them to pray, to get them to think about uh, you know Mary's messages in in a different way without trying to harp on the specific apparition. You know to pray and pray for that person that they could uh, they'd have a conversion of heart. You know make a sacrifice, do some penance for that person. Pray an extra rosary, pray an extra divine mercy chaplet, offer your communion. You know, so, and we're not always going to get across to people, you know, what we think they should know or believe, but we can plant the seeds through the grace of God and pray, pray for them, but always in a loving, loving way, never in a harsh or never in a confrontational, you know, it's not a, you know, a fight <laughs> or anything. Some people, I think, get carried away with trying to push things onto people, but I believe in chicken soup evangelization. <laughs> uh, that's happened. <laughs> I've done that a lot with uh, elderly neighbors who are atheistic. You know, they're actually they were actual atheists. Certain people in my life, and, and you know, just to be loving and to bring them some chicken soup, <laughs> put a little less salt in it. <laughs> and, and but I mean, being a friend, being loving, being prayerful. And this one elderly woman, she told me never preach at her, never, because her her friends were trying to keep her from hell, and she said, "Don't you're not going to be one of those people, right? And I said, no, 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 I won't preach at you, I promise. And so we had this beautiful friendship, and one day she took my hands and she looked up into my eyes and said, Donna Marie, please don't ever stop praying for me. Like she knew I was praying for her, and she, was, and she asked me for more. So I think a lot of, um, we need to be a Eucharistic presence to the world. We need to nourish our own hearts. 
with Jesus truly present in the Eucharist. We need to ask Mother Mary to help us, to be with us, to show us the way to her Son, and to pray for as many graces as we can possibly receive, because Mary, like at uh, Rudabach with St. Catherine Labre, she told her that there are many graces that people don't ask for. So I ask for whatever I can get. I want to get everything. <laughs> I want everybody to get all the graces possible. In every rosary, during every decade, I ask for all the graces possible to be received, because this is going to give us the strength to help others get to heaven. So when we're nourished by the Eucharist, we're helped by Our Lady, and also the intercession of the saints, our friends in heaven, you know, we'll be better equipped, we'll have more strength, we'll have more courage for the journey, even if it's just for that day. Because like, you know, we were saying earlier, day by day before the show, uh, you know, we trust in our Lord. So each and every day we need that strength. Like Mother Teresa said, she needed to receive the broken bread of Jesus in the Eucharist, the broken body of Jesus in the Eucharist, every single morning at Holy Mass in order to have the strength to go out and take care of the broken bodies of the poor. So we can't do it on our own. We need to be nourished by the bread of life with Mary at our side. Yeah, Mary at our side. And I I think that your book, um, the subtitle is Adoring Jesus with His Mother. And I'm just wondering, how do we adore Jesus with Our Lady? Because obviously she lived with Jesus, and so she saw all of these things. We know that she treasured and pondered and pondered. So, so really, she had so much that she could adore from her life experiences. So, so how do we, as ordinary people, uh, distanced from Christ, uh, you know, in time, uh, adore Him with Our Lady? Well, by inviting Our Lady to go with us to adoration. Wherever we are, we could be adoring Our Lord right in our own home if we can't get out to the chapel. As St. Faustina learned from Jesus, Holy Communion stays with you from one communion to the next. And so wherever we are, hopefully at a chapel or a church, um, we ask our, our mother. We ask our mother. You know, Mother Teresa said to me, pray a simple prayer. Mary, Mother of Jesus, be Mother to me now. You know, we need just simply ask Mary, be with me, come with me. Help me with Jesus, you know, with your Son. Help me to have to pray in the way that I should, perfect my prayers, you know, touch my heart, help help my heart to be open to hear what Jesus wants to tell me. So we talk to Mary, we ask her to help us, and we invite her to go, and that's how we could adore Jesus with his mother, by asking her to help us, and to be, and just to be a, com- you know, a comfort to us, too. So she's a mother, she's a loving mother, you know, and so she's, she's a very comforting mother. So when we're troubled, you know, we can just really, really turn to her and just ask her for help. And she always will. She always will. And she's the one. She wants us in heaven one day, so she's going to be with us every time, all the time, like you said, at Mass, Holy Mass, you know, wherever we are, and during those visits with her son, Jesus. When I think about Our Lady and the Eucharist, uh, I always think of the stained glass window that uh, that I first encountered at the Poor Claire Colatine Monastery in Rockford, Illinois. And it's uh, Mary receiving communion from St. John. And Father Daniel Lord, a priest here of mine, who uh, was really the inspiration behind my Eucharistic meditation book, uh, Meditations After Holy Communion, uh, he proposed, you know, he asked a question like, when did Mary receive her first Holy Communion? 
Now she now he had kind of you know this meditative you know kind of in the style of a Jesuit uh, with imaginative prayer. He he imagined that maybe after the Last Supper that maybe Mary, seeing the chalice with a drop of wine, brings it to, brings it to her lips and tastes the blood of Christ for the very first time. But then you know Jesus tells the apostles at the Last Supper, do this in remembrance of me. John takes her into his home. And so she would have received communion with John. She would have received communion in the early church. You know, another little notion that uh, Father Daniel Lord proposes is he, he says, well, think about Mary's last Holy Communion. And uh, Anne Catherine Emmerich in her life yeah. of Jesus and Mary, um, she even brings out the fact that Mary received her viaticum, you know. So, so there is something thinking about Mary's reception of Holy Communion herself. I love that. I love that very much. Yes, and uh, and also Mary of Agreda. She talks a lot about uh, mystical city of God. Uh, you know her uh, encounters. You know her uh, her uh, reflections on the life of Mary. And I I quote some of that in some of my books. Um, we can learn from saints and those saints in the making. You know some things they give us something to ponder. And I love what you said about. Mary, you know, receiving the Eucharist from John and, and, you know, receiving her last Eucharist before she left this, this earth, too. Yeah, we to can... Think about it. It's really a great time. You know, we could spend a lot of time pondering that and meditating upon that at adoration. And For pray sure. to be open to, to, to be open to learn more. Yeah, we can only hope that all of us will die fortified by the sacraments that we'll be able to receive, you know, the anointing, uh, the apostolic pardon and viaticum if we're able. Um, So that's really, you know, if Mary received it, it's our hope too. And we rely on her prayers, especially at the hour of our death as we pray the Hail Mary prayer. Maybe just one last question uh, as we wrap up our conversation about your book, uh, 30 Marian Eucharistic Visits Adoring Jesus with His Mother. I'm just curious, as you've written 30 of these visits, which one is your favorite? Is there one that maybe you've prayed over, over and over again, that you return to time and again? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I haven't really thought that thought of having one as a favorite, um, but everyone actually touches my heart in a certain way. You know, like if I just pick one out real quickly right now, like running in haste with Mary, you know, that's just, you know, touches my heart because she, how we learn from her, how she put her own needs aside and ran to help her cousin Elizabeth and um, all that she had going on in her own life at that moment while Jesus was residing in her womb and she made that journey to Elizabeth. You know, that's a very um, beautiful one for me, too, because I know that our Lord calls us to run in haste to help others. He calls us to have a heart like Mary, you know, so something like that. But also the next one, at the foot of the cross with Mary, you know, that touches me. Just every single one I put in here, I, I think, could touch someone's heart, you know, surrendering to God's will, you know, striving for a generous heart like Mary, acknowledging Christ's true presence with Mary. So, you know, at the foot of the cross is, is such a powerful, uh, sorrowful, amazing place to be in our prayer. I mean, there's so much that could happen there in our prayer, just praying to be with Mary at the foot of the cross in our prayers. And she, I've experienced beautiful, beautiful 
um, prayers with Mother Mary, you know, uh, reflecting on that time at the foot of the cross. And so, you know, Mary teaches us so much. She's such a beautiful mother to us, and she can touch our heart in such powerful ways. And and she'll continue to do so. We just need to turn to her and not be afraid of her as some far-off, you know, saint someplace that's unreachable. She is our mother, and she wants to be our mother. Yeah, what I love as you end your book, The 30th uh, Eucharistic Visit, Asking Mary to Be Our Mother. That's really what I think happens in these uh, Marian devotionals. Uh, I wrote, uh, again, uh, A Heart Like Mary's and How They Love Mary. Uh, and so so as I wrote those books, that was always my intention. Like the last one was, you know, kind of in A Heart Like Mary's, it was like the desire for Mary's desire for us to be consecrated to her. And so I always look at Marian consecration as as Mary become allowing Mary, accepting Mary as our mother. And then at the end of the book, How They Love Mary, I, I focus, the last person is Teresita Cavedo, whose book was Mary Was Her Life. That was her, her autobiography that she wrote. No, that's a biography that someone wrote about her. But uh, she just really had this little confidence of Mary, which was really uh, this trust in Our Lady's intercession. And, and uh, you know, kind of, I, I think these books lead up to that idea of maybe Mary and consecration or, or just that idea of saying, Mary, I want you to be a mother to me now, just as uh, Mother Teresa often would pray and who you have a great admiration of. So, uh, yeah, I love that you end that way. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, I just, you know, I was inspired, you know, in writing this, that that should be there as that part of the book, you know, to to ask her, and hopefully that will stir the heart of the reader, you know, to ask her to be their, their mother. And, you know, we, we uh, our spiritual journey uh, grows, if I can say it this way, in leaps and bounds when we when we come close to Mary, because she leads us closer and closer to Jesus. Because she always always says, do whatever he tells you. You know, she's always saying, go to Jesus, go to my son. And so we're so blessed with this faith that we have, right, Father Looney? We're just so blessed. Yeah, there's so many promises, so many graces. Uh, Yeah, I think that's a a wonderful way to to say is that truly we are blessed. So your book, 30 Marian Eucharistic Visits, available from EWTN Publishing. Uh, Where can people follow you? Where should they buy the book? Yes, uh, they can go to um, EWTN RC to get the book. They can go to Sophia Institute to get the book. Uh, my website, I, um, and I can autograph it for them, uh, com. If you like today's episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you're listening. And don't forget to stay up to date with what Father Edward is doing by following him on Facebook, X, or Instagram at the handle at FREdwardLooney. Thanks for listening, and please join Father Edward again next time for another inspiring conversation.